Can you hear me? Hello. Can you hear me?
You can hear me? I cannot hear you at all. Okay, I will give a little introduction about myself. You'll have to keep putting your responses in the chat. But um, my name is Tracy Livia Garner. I'm excited to be on the podcast today with Peter. And um, I think that I have been writing uh, for such a long time. Not I think that I have been writing. I have been writing for a really long time. It's just uh, something that I fell in love with at the age, in the age of my 20s, in the age of my college life, and um, in the age of a very difficult time growing and learning and becoming, um, growing into my adulthood. And so I um, discovered writing through a contest and just decided, you know what, I think this is for me because I was having such a hard time academically. And so I decided that I would enter this contest. I just happened to see online hosted by a very large publishing house at the time. And um, I entered it and I just prayed that it would work. And I won, I won a trip to New York, a $500 advance and an opportunity to see my work published. And that just changed my entire life. And so that's kind of how I just start, started writing. I was really depressed in school 
So it wasn't just I was in school and having a hard time, like a lot of people do, but I was just struggling with finding my way and finding purpose. And so the writing really spoke to me. And I was um, just decided to write a story during math class, class especially, because I didn't know what was going on there. And um, that's kind of how it started. What inspired my writing was um, also just the rejection that I received, not just the math and failing math, but the rejection that I received from a young man in college, um, just not being able to handle disability um, and kind of letting that uh, prohibit us from moving forward. But also my parents had a great love story and um, they been were married at the time. My dad is now deceased, but they've been married for almost 40 years or actually 40 years, maybe 42 years, I always forget. But um, they just had a great story of my dad leaving college to come to Virginia to pursue my mother. They both grew up together and were college sweethearts. And uh, so that's kind of um, just the idea. And if you want to be depressed, just watch the news. It was my job, I felt, to entertain people and to make people um, feel happy and have a good, satisfying, uh, happily ever after. I learned really to write, I think, just by the seat of my pants. I'm called a pantser. There's plotter types and there's pantsers. Um, plotters, um, you know, map out the story, outline the story. I never did any of that. I, um, you know, always just wrote the story and, but I also studied a little bit, you know, creative writing and such. And so I just did mostly that. And really, I think the spontaneity of being a pantser is, um, is really what kind of made it so wonderful to me. I think if I had a studied, had have studied um, some kind of uh, nuanced way of doing things, I'm not sure that I would have felt the freedom. So yeah, I want to tell you about my new book. My new book is called Disability, my 15th book, uh, Disability and Anecdotal Field Guide for the Rest of Us. And that is coming out in January. It's on pre-order right now, but it is about really more than 10 plus years in the making. Um, I wanted to write a book that helped people discover, um, you know, little anecdotal advice. So I've been through a lot of different things through the lens of disability, and I wanted to impart advice and my observations about tackling hurdles and overcoming certain situations that impede your progress. And I wanted to kind of document that in a book to help other people, other people with disabilities. But I also wrote it for parents of children with special needs. I don't know what the going term is right now. You know, the labels and the terms for us are always changing, but parents of children with special needs, children with disabilities, and anyone who really surrounds them and is part of their network, caregivers, practitioners, case managers, anyone who is really in a position to have a view or a thought about what the person they're charged with can do and really changing the narrative and changing their own thoughts about what people with disabilities capabilities are. So I think that I've always been um, underestimated in everything I do and you know everything is just all so different.
the message of the book, I think, is that, you know, you are in a position of power and that as a person with disability, there's going to be so many things that are going to confront you. But at the end of the day, you make a decision to either move past, um, grow past, learn past. And what I mean by that is that you get a little bit of knowledge so you can tackle this hurdle. You get a little bit more knowledge over here from maybe other peers with disabilities or you read something or you watch something, uh, read my book, obviously, to be a little bit more empowered and to learn and see how Tracy tackled this situation. Here's maybe what I can do to affect change and tackle my own situation, my own barriers, my own kind of nemesis that bother me and hinder me. And so that's really what I want people to take away. It's not something that I think you could just read in one sitting because you probably won't retain it, but there are little snippets of advice in each chapter. Um, I didn't mention the chapters, which are, you know, transportation, um, mental health and physical health, uh, dealing with and having an emergency preparedness situation. Disability for me is sometimes its own emergency in that anything that happens to us is compounded by disability. It's like an extra set of barriers that you have to kind of work around. And so I talk about being that, having a backup plan, contingency plans, a backup plan for your backup. And then um, I also talk about housing, recreation, leisure, and uh, advocacy and employment. So those are just some of the, some of the um, topics that I talk about. Some of the challenges that I see today are just so much more about attitudinal barriers. People's attitudes, and I'm like, still, really? Do we still have to like prove ourselves? Do we still have to go through these things um, that kind of set us back? And that's all based on what people think we should be doing, where we should be going, where we should be working, or not working, sitting at home, um, you know, not empowered, not able to earn a living. And some people think that even if you can do something that you shouldn't, you know, so there's still a lot of passes being given out as a result of this label that we have of wearing disability. Like, why should you want to work? Why don't you just stay home? Uh, you want to go to college? What? You know, you want to go to a winery with your friends? Well, that's not accessible. And it's like, whose fault is that? You know, whose fault is it that prohibits me from doing these things? It's because, oh, somebody thought that I would never go to these things. Somebody chose not to make something accessible from the onset. And, you know, you have to kind of tear everything up to put in a ramp when you just could have saved a lot of money and done those things in the first place. So, I think that those are just, I'm just astounded by sometimes when I run up against um, some things that are just still so mind boggling to me. And that also suggests, you know, we live in the 17th, 16th, 18th century. And so I'm just amazed. And I think that um, hopefully this book also changes the attitudes of non-disabled people. I think if they choose to read it, if they feel like they can be enlightened and be taught something, then that'll be key and that'll also be a welcome thing because you also need to challenge your own limiting beliefs 
about what other people can do. We have enough trouble, you know, making ourselves and pushing ourselves to do the things that are difficult in a largely inaccessible world. But we also have to push up against attitudes and those are sometimes bigger barriers than, um, than, you know, that there's no ramp or there's no elevator. Those things can be fixed, but attitude changes take, you know, generations to overcome. I, you know, I hate to say that there is any silver lining. I don't ever want to negate uh, the lives that we've lost, but COVID has changed the landscape in that it has, in some cases, in the employment sector, um, leveled the playing field. Um, and by that, I mean people that work like for the federal government, I used to work for the federal government, people that work in these corporate settings. And again, this is an example of how attitudinal barriers rear their ugly head. Pre-COVID, you know, I would have supervisors that say, you know, what can you do from home? How can you do your work? Are you going to be able to get it done? Are you just fleecing America doing nothing under the pretenses of working from home? And now that they don't have that choice, you know, that's been, it's been taken away from them, that power that they wield as a supervisor, as an executive, as the boss um, to say, you know, you can't possibly work from home. You can't do anything there, you know, and I can't keep my eye on you. That's really what it was all about. So COVID has um, changed the landscape for people with disabilities by taking, you know, their um, power to say who can and can't work from home. They work from home. They're able to be productive. Um, but I have come up with, you know, when my chair would break down, I've had, you know, previous bosses that said, you know, well, you know, you'll just have to take the entire day off. Well, I can work sitting on my bed or I can work, you know, sitting somewhere else while my wheelchair is out being fixed. You know, I don't have that mobility. Why should I be penalized? I'm still able to talk with people on the phone, to answer emails and to do the things that I need to do. So that is just only, that's the only thing I can think of um, that COVID has a positive impact on. I mean, there are probably all others, you know, waking people up as far as their finances go. You know, what do people do when a primary caregiver dies, loses their life? Um, so there are maybe a couple other things, but it's just so devastating. It's hard to see any good. But I would say that that one thing that people with disabilities can be productive um, and be more comfortable. I feel more productive at home because I'm so comfortable. I didn't have to put on so many clothes just to get out the door and then get to work and can't, you know, move or just am so fatigued from the aggressive driving that I had to do to get to the office. And so you've taken all those things away and it's just amazing the level of productivity a lot of us have. Now, on the downside, it has, you know, made social isolation for people um, with disabilities, too, because those opportunities to get out and be around your peers can have a devastating effect on people with already limited social um, opportunities and ways to get out and be amongst their peers and friends. Absolutely. COVID has forced, you know, us to trust um, others and, you know, and just believe and just relax. Like you can do it. 
we're being productive. We're still working. We are honest people. We want to keep our job. So we're going to do the things we need to do that to do that. And, um, and you can trust people at home. Work seems to have become the be all. Explain that. I'm not clear on what you're saying. Right. That's the other, probably the bad thing about COVID is that you're working all the time. People had to really institute those barriers in order to, um, you know, cause I do find myself working a lot more and, um, you know, and that's really a bad thing, but I also feel more comfortable and laid back in my pajamas to work more. So it's kind of a, it's just, you have to set those boundaries and set those things in place. <laughs> yes, I live in mine too. I just don't tell anybody. I do take regular baths and showers, as I'm sure you do too. <laughs> the next steps I think um, for people with disabilities or for my book um, are just to keep promoting it. I actually um, will be partnering. This is a new partnership for the book, which I'm excited about. I'm going to be partnering with a center for independent living um, to help uh, reduce um, the nursing homes and get people into housing and into the community. So the book is going to become and evolve into a part fundraiser um, up in New York, the Center for Independent Living in Islip, New York, or Islip. I don't quite know how to pronounce it, but um, I'm sure someone will correct me. Um, out in up in New York, I'm in Virginia, um, so I'll be partnering with them. There's just some notorious, horrifying stories uh, about nursing homes, and part of my book is also about being empowered to live your own life and really to create a network and a system to be, you know, a level of independence that's right for you. And so I think that um, part of that is, you know, living where you choose and not living in an institution or a facility. So I'm excited to work with the center, uh, the Intersight Center for Independent Living in Islip, New York. And um, I'll be sharing more about that on the website and um, letting people know um, a dollar from every single book that I sell is going to go to that awareness campaign and that initiative to help, um, you know, really change the model of the nursing home, really just turn it on its ear. No more of these warehouses full of people who can't get the attention, can't get changed, can't, you know, have a really happier life in um, the facilities than they currently have. There are just some horrifying stories of abuse and neglect. Um, and it just doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that way. So I look forward to helping them to raise awareness and mitigate instances of abuse and even uh, fatalities, murder, uh, rape, um, 
sexual assault um, that really that nobody everybody turns a blind a blind eye to. So that'll be what's coming up in the next my next steps for the book and really making it um, making it something. Yes, my center I will also be donating to there too. Um, we have a the nursing homes um, in certain states are just worse than others. Let's just put it that way. Um, so definitely everything that I do, my center and other centers, and I hope more centers for independent living because there's 400 around the entire U S maybe they all can get on board and maybe, um, raise awareness for the, the programs. The other thing I wanted to mention is, um, is that, uh, I hoped the next iteration of this book will be a place for people to join me and to write their own stories. Um, so I'm having a call. It's already on the website. There is it. It's called, is it your turn? And um, my book currently says volume one on the cover. If people notice it says volume one, and I hope to have two, three, four, five volumes uh, when all is said and done over the next five or six years that people can share articles and stories similar to the way that I've shared them in the disability book. And so I'll be kind of curating uh, people sharing and anything that doesn't make it into the book, I hope to put on a blog so we can just have this vast repository of different stories um, and different things that people will want to share about this is the issue that I confronted and this is how I came over, came over it. Yes, the impact of COVID on independent living has just been devastating. And honestly, you know, talk about one good thing, um, despite all the deaths, is that it pulled the covers off of so many things that have been done and hidden and kind of done in the dark behind closed doors. It really let everyone know these are the issues that happen in the nursing facility. You put your people and your loved ones. And I realize that some people don't have a choice. Some people are not able to take care of um, their loved ones. Some people don't have family. I'm not at all blaming anyone who chooses to, um, you know, take their parent, their loved one, their child with a disability, um, even young people, even veterans returning who don't have families sometimes end up in a nursing facility. But COVID just really kind of cleaned all the windows so that we can see into these, these places that there's so much injustice, neglect and abuse. And, you know, COVID really um, strained a lot of caregiving jobs too. So that was certainly a strain and an impact on independent living. Um, and it also showed us that none of us really are independent. We're all interdependent, dependent on others for the things we need. We all really need each other to come alongside and to help one another. So, you know, there, for anyone who's struggling with the level of independence they have, you should know that, you know, there is no real independence. There is a level that's right for you with supports. And when it comes to leaving a nursing facility, living on your own, sometimes you might have to need a roommate. Sometimes there are little bitter pills that you have to swallow in order to reckon with your disability. 
but that they you can do that you can swallow it you can take it down um and you can be okay with whatever level of dis, of independence you have and that is fine you have to define that for yourself and then you have to be all right with the definition that you come up with my wish list for change that is so hard are you going to be santa are you playing santa for a minute oh dear santa i don't know my wish list um is that people will be all right within themselves you know disability having a disability can be very lonely but i just pray and hope that everyone has someone that they can talk to that they can um you know, that they can be all right, that we can stop making people feel bad about something that's really not anyone's fault and a not of their control. So back to the attitudinal barriers, I want everyone to really wake up and say, this would be made better if I would accept people um, and their limitations as they are. The disability is natural, it occurs you know, naturally, it's just, it's something that we need to work with, not something that we need to mitigate and eradicate. And so I think that that is probably the biggest uh, wish list that I have is that when we all see value in each other and we all support each other, we can all participate. And right now, a lot of people can't participate in certain things. Um, and it's very hurtful when you can't participate in something. It's devastating. And all because, you know, just something is inaccessible, because there are attitudinal barriers, because there are a number of things that prohibit you from participating. And that is because someone made a conscious choice to make something inaccessible or to at least do a little bit of extra to make it more accessible to you. Yes, I look forward to another interview in the future. Um, and the book is on pre-order. Um, people can visit me and learn more about how they can contribute to the book, the next uh, version of the book at tracygarner.com. That's my name, Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-E, Garner, G-A-R-N-E-R.com. And um, I look forward to getting lots of good feedback. I look forward to people reviewing my work. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at T Garner, T-E-E-G-A-R-N-E-R. -E -E thank you so much, Peter, for this opportunity. Thank you, same. Happy holidays to everyone.